Hello, club members. I'm Kate, and I pulled a pair of underwear out of a dog. Uh, excuse me? Would you care to elaborate? I mean, it's, I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory. Would you be so mad if I just ignored the fact that you just said something outrageous and just proceeded as if that yes, was... Yes, I would be furious. You'd be like, and I'm Emma. <laughs> At this point, it's pretty typical for Kate. That's fine. Did he eat yeah. it, I presume? Yeah. Which end did you pull it out of? Well, the the, the top end. Okay. I, the bottom end, I would have been impressed. Though the top end is kind of impressive because it's like a magic trick. It was like a magic trick. What is the thing that we covered? It, he's the original, um, what is it? Whenever they uh, would tell fortunes and then they would vomit out pictures of people. Ectoplasm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just he was like just that. practicing some good old fashioned ectoplasm. That's exactly what it was. It was a neat <laughs> parlor trick. <laughs> Were there any pictures attached to the underwear? I didn't check. I just threw it away. Okay, fair there enough. There was kibble attached to the underwear. Didn't give it back to the owner? No, I do always offer, though. Do you really? Yeah, I'm like, do you want it back? <laughs> Just so we see the reaction <laughs> on their face. It's yeah. like, no. I'm like, okay. Uh, and my name is Emma. <laughs> and today I found out that someone's pool above me, which, why is there a pool above me, first Wait, of all? I'm in an apartment. pool above you? Apparently someone has some sort of pool above I me. I don't understand. You're in an apartment. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and I thought that Raja, my cat, had gotten upset that I was out of town this weekend and sprayed. But really, it was dripping from the pool that they hadn't cleaned down into my apartment. And the most horrifying part of that isn't even that. It's that the color of the water was a little yellow. I'm so confused. All right. So first of all, Raja was innocent. Justice for Raja. He was innocent. Um, what do you mean there's a pool above you? Kate, I don't know. Like a guy called me because I thought it was my air conditioner leaking. And I, a guy called me and was like, good news. Your air conditioner is not leaking. It was actually the indoor pool above what? you. I'm like, what? You live in an apartment complex. I have no idea. And it's not a bougie no. apartment. It's very standard. It's not the kind where there would be fancy. Indoor like, pools. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, I, and then I was thinking like, is this like a, like kitty pool that someone's using? I don't know. I have a lot of, a lot of questions about it. That's disgusting. Yeah, the water was yellow. That's disgusting. That's why I thought it was pink. <laughs> so we're doing great. How are you guys doing, club members? Yeah, hopefully better than hopefully. us. Um, if it's your first time uh, joining us on the Nightlight Horror Movie Club, uh, welcome. We're so excited that you have joined our club. And if we do talk about things other than eating underwear and I s- inappropriate indoor pools. I swear we get to movies. <laughs> sometimes um but yeah thank you for joining us if you have joined us before welcome back we're so excited to have you back um and i do also just want to um give a shameless cry for help uh, regarding the fact that i cannot get our um club logo synced on apple podcast um yeah it's the og it's one the old one jesus christ the pe one pre-emma oh, oh yeah, yeah. If any of you guys have any idea how to sync these logos, please help me. Please reach out. My email address. Hell. Hal with an A. My email address is nightlighthorrormovieclub at gmail.com. Please help me. That's her personal email address. That's my personal. I use it for everything. (laughs) There is a lot of spam in there. Okay. But enough of Kate's personal woes. Yeah. It's for the club. I'm, I'm reading club bulletins. Okay. Ooh, that sounds very official. Yeah. What are our other club bulletins? Oh, um, I actually do have another club bulletin. We have a new review, and it is from a funeral assistant. 
Is yes. it really? Wow, I'm very All right, so th- I have a review from Get Down With The Thickness. Hilarious. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> and I did want to read it real fast just while we're doing club bulletins. So um, it's a one-star review. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's a five-star review. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And it says Spotify. Ugh, I love this already. Spotify recommended me your podcast as I drove to Universal for a long-needed vacation. Why these aren't our people. We love Spotify Universal. knows too much. We how love do they it. also know about the content of our of our podcast? They know about our personal. We, Emma and I both love Universal, but anyway, yes, she do. she continues. I've been hooked since I commented on your Instagram before, but I'll say it again. I'm a funeral assistant, and I love listening to your podcast while I'm wrist deep in someone's chest cavity. Oh my goodness. That, yeah. What a vivid description. And I'm very here for it. Yeah. She also says my director also really enjoyed the Dr. Death episode. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we, got, we got good feedback on the Dr. Death. I really didn't know which way it was going to go. Like if people were going to be so depressed that they're like, this is not what I came to this for. Well, that might be how people feel about this episode because it is sad house. I mean, Hill House. Recovering part two <laughs> of Hill House. Yeah, it is. It really is a bundle of sadness this this week. Yeah, but before you guys get depressed, if you are um, so inclined, please go share the club with friends. uh, (laughs) Before you're too sad to do that. (laughs) Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll give you a shout out and it means a ton to us. And it helps the algorithms that be um, show other people about the club. And we love growing the club. So yes, we love hearing what people are up to and who's listening and why. It's just very interesting. Are you, are you guys ready to talk about Hill House Part 2? Do you mean me? I mean you guys. The royal we? The royal yes, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, also a note here. We originally said that we were going to do this in two parts. It's, it's going to be three, just to make sure everybody knows. So this episode, we are going to be covering, um, or this club meeting, rather. We are going to be covering episodes four through six of The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it um, before you listen. Please do. It's on Netflix. And um, yeah, even if you were lukewarm on Bly Manor, give this one a shot. Yeah, like this is... Um, I they're guess each their own. They're very much individualistic, despite the fact that they're directed by the same person and have, and the, have same the same cast. cast. <laughs> Ooh, Kate, Other than that, they're completely different. Today, Kate and I are, are doing a twin thing where we say all the things at the same time. Oh, that brings us to our first episode. You know, I'm very good. At segues. <laughs> it's on my resume. Yeah, that this was smooth. You nailed it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, episode four, it's the twin thing. This is Luke's story. And um, you guess it. You guess. What do you mean, womp womp? That's not I the mean, right sound. I know. I, as I said, I was like, well, I, I, I mean, it's a really womp, good episode. Womp. God, <laughs> that's heartless. Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. Let me... Let's just take that back. Let's, Let's reel just it take back. that back. God, poor Luke. Kick him while he's down. No, I like Luke. Oh, do you like Luke? Yes, I do. Because you would kind of be a shitty person if you didn't. He might be my new favorite. Is he your favorite? Yeah, I said last episode that Theo was my favorite. But now I'm thinking it may be Luke. I know you posted on Instagram asking what everybody's favorite character was. So yes, we have a vote for Theo. So I, I hope we get some more because I want to. I want a variety I voted. of perspectives. Oh, what did you say? I voted for Nell. Oh, did you? Yeah, Nell's my absolute favorite. I she love Nell. Is so very likable and endearing in 
her episode and and very tragic but i take back saying she was a manic pixie dream girl yeah that was so incorrect i'm glad it was but i had very limited info in my Mm. defense in your defense well we are going to talk about her a little bit in the twin thing because she's you know obviously luke's twin um, that does, I guess I, I'll go ahead and skip um, to my episode genre just because I can. So for every, if this is your first club meeting, again, we do, I pick a genre for every movie. And since we're doing genres, I mean, since we're doing a show instead of a movie, I picked a genre for every episode because they're all different. So every episode I pick a genre and then I also pick a best moment and a scariest moment just for fun. All right. So, what do we have here? Obviously it's twin horror. Okay. You know what my follow up question is? You know, I do know your follow-up question, actually. It's always, is there something else that can fit in that genre category? And I am choosing the 1988 classic, Twins, starring (laughs) Danny DeVito. You did research on this. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was ready. (laughs) If anything, that sounds like a comedy. It's a horror With Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they look like twins. Well, that's the horror of it. Is that they... I, is it, I have to go watch this. They're twins. Okay, it's not a horror. I think it's a buddy comedy. So I also have a backup in case you rejected that one. How about The Shining? Yes, I will take that. Thank you. If you didn't take that, I can't please you. Yeah, I mean, that one's very fair. So one thing that makes uh, actually all three of these episodes, not just the twin thing, a little different than the last three episodes we covered is they have different writers. These weren't Ooh. all written by Mike Flanagan. Well, good for the other writers. I, I mean, they have names, so I'll just I was, go ahead. And- I, I didn't want to put you in a spot in case you didn't have the names available. You go, other writer. <laughs> no. Do props to writer number two, three, and four. <laughs> no, these are like big writers, or at least at, at least the first one that I've checked is. So we have Scott Kosar. Um, he wrote The Machinist. Oh, wow. He also did the 2003 remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the 05 remake of Amityville Horror. That is quite a filmography. Yeah, so kind of a big deal. So he yeah. wrote the twin thing. It was directed by Mike Flanagan. All of them are directed by Mike Flanagan. Um, but yeah, different writer, which is pretty cool. I think it's especially cool that I was trying to remember whenever you said that he did The Machinist, which episode it was, because it reminds me, I, The Machinist, I feel like those vibes of like psychological thriller, dark suspense really fit with this entire Mental series. illness mental illness it fit with the entire series and i was trying to figure out which episode it fit with bass and i think this one this one uh does the trick well that makes sense because it was the same writer (laughs) so that that's why solved the mystery so yeah you solved it i'm a way to go (laughs) should i give a little synopsis of the episode please do okay so this episode is all about luke's backstory all the episodes so far have been centered around a particular character this one is about luke who is the youngest child um with nell who is the twin so uh, mm, child technically Luke. he was born before Nell. oh that's right i think Nell is actually the baby but yes they are the youngest twins so this is about um it, it we have child luke and present day luke child luke um has his imaginary friend abigail who all his family thinks that it's just that that it's this imaginary imaginary friend um his dad is his his mom finds that little bowler hat that big bowler oh, hat in I the attic scene I did at first. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know it was cursed, but they find that bowler hat and it is, it is really sweet how they handle it. Um, 
like he's like, no, like I saw a ghost in in the basement because in the previous episode, baby Luke um, sees a ghost in the basement. A demon yeah, in the scariest basement. moment for me for episode three. Hands down. One of the scariest moments of the series. And Luke is trying to explain to everyone, no, I saw it. Like I saw it. It's real. And they're like, no, there's nothing down there, buddy. We checked. And so his mom um, finds a bowler hat and presents it to him and is like, oh, here's a bowler hat. You'll like this. And his dad's like, yeah, you know, like that's a big boy hat for like big boys. And big boys know the difference between what's real and what isn't real, which is a very important moment for this show. Yeah, absolutely. We do not know what is real and what is, isn't real, especially Luke. I love that he gets this bowler hat and um, Nell's first hiding behind boxes and there's just this really cute thing where they're looking for Nell. It's just very sweet. And then I love that like in this scene, he puts it on. He's really excited. And then Nell says something like, he loves it. And they're like, how do you know? And she's like, she either says overtly like it's a twin thing or I'm his twin. She's She's like, I can tell he loves the hat. It's really, really cute. There's a, there's quite a few twin moments in this episode between uh, Luke and Nell, baby or or adult. Um, a big one that I'm almost afraid to say it at this point. Well, I guess no, I'm not going to say it because it's a spoiler for another episode that we're going to cover in the it, today. But I just don't want to say anything. Um, there is that scene where they say where she's like, "Are you awake?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm awake because you're awake." It's just very sweet. And then you're scared because I'm scared. They're obviously very connected. And you, one might even suspect on like a almost supernatural level. Yes. Or spiritual level. There's some sort of deep connection between them as twins. Yes. Even after Nell is dead, I feel. Yeah. And this episode is when they really elaborate on that connection. Yes. And like they can feel each other's like sicknesses and like like they talk about how um luke broke his foot and nell called because she suddenly had like her horrible foot pain like it's not just like emotional like they have like they can feel each other physically like they feel what the other person feels yes um so should we talk about the bowler hat now or should i continue the synopsis i'll continue the synopsis real fast so baby luke gets a bowler hat meanwhile in present day um luke and his best friend joey I'll talk about Joey. Luke and his best friend Joey have like an adventure, a really bad one. Huh? Is this before or after the runny eggs? This is the runny eggs is the first part of is, is like the monologue, but I'm doing just like a general synopsis. Like we'll come back to it. Yeah. No, we'll get, I have a note about the runny eggs as well. But Luke and his best friend and from rehab, Joey, um, Joey like kind of flees the coop of rehab and um, kind of falls off the wagon. Luke goes after her, um, but then can't go back to rehab because he left rehab. So he's like trying to take care of Joey. Being a little shit. I do not. I don't. Can I just say I don't like Joey? No, I don't know if we're supposed to like her, but I definitely don't either. I definitely don't. She's a horrible influence and she's very selfish. She's extremely selfish and I hate her and I don't like anything about her and she's the worst. I like that. Okay, you continue. I don't want to interrupt. No, it's fine. So let's just keep going with the show. So um, we have the abnormally tall man. We get to meet the tall man who I'll talk about. Um, We get to get some background for why Luke was breaking into Steve's apartment in the first episode um, trying to steal money. 
and we find out that it's because he's trying to get money for a motel so that they can stay in a motel because they're freezing and they can't get back in the rehab center because they left. And then the episode ends. Oh my God, so messed up. Whenever Luke calls his caseworker and he's begging, he's like, I will sleep on the floor. I will sleep on a couch, please. I am freezing. I don't, I I think he wasn't wearing shoes at that point. It was just extremely devastating. And she's like, yeah, we'll come find you. And it was her and Steve, his oldest brother. And they come to find him and tell him that Nell's dead. At which point he, and then they, they say, oh, like she died from suicide. mm -hmm. It was a suicide. And at which point he promptly says, no, it wasn't. Yes. No, it wasn't. So that's that very emotional episode. Should we just do the walkthrough? You want to talk about the runny eggs? I do. So in the, at the opening scene, he's at like a um, narcotics anonymous type meeting where it's like a circle of them. They're sharing. And the person who's sharing is, um, Oh my God. So sad. An Iraqi veteran. And he talks about his trauma that led him to become uh, addicted to, uh, drugs, which was, he, was in um, a war zone and found a a young, a child, like a little girl who had died. And he was describing how he was haunted by the, the image of her eyes, which in the heat of the fire that was surrounding had melted. And he described them as runny eggs. And so he starts doing drugs. And then unfortunately he ends up going blind from his addiction no do you not know did you not catch why he went blind what remind me so he he calls her the crispy kid with the runny egg eyes and so he sees her all the time he has this horrible ptsd and so he drops acid yes to try to get rid of it and then goes blind from dropping acid no he gouges his eyes out with knitting needles oh how did i miss that i do not know (laughs) Wow. I thought he just got, he was blinded by like the acid, which I know would not be a super common side effect, but no, I mean, you could like, things can happen. You can get like clots or strokes or all sorts of things from drug use, but no, this is quite physically. He gouged his eyes out with a knitting needle while he was under the influence of acid and it didn't fix anything because he still sees her. Yeah. It actually kind of made it worse because now all he sees is her. God, that's awful. It was a very dark intro and very um, impactful and a great scene. It's really fucked up. But yeah. it's also, I also kind of appreciate it because it's another, um, like there's a lot of literal ghosts in this show, obviously. And I like whenever they talk about like metaphorical ghosts. Mm-hmm. So this is definitely like a ghost in its own way that he's haunted by. This guy's haunted by. I think that's what I'm enjoying so much about the series is that it's interweaving real human trauma and real human um, like demons and grief and grief and incorporating that into something corporeal and like a real evil that is affecting the family. Yes. I also liked um, one of the literal ghosts in this episode, which was the old woman at the speaking tube, which was a great scene. Yes, it was. Whenever they the they're dropping the buttons down the speaking tube, and they can hear the old woman calling someone and saying "Clara, Clara," and I liked it because it wasn't just a random ghost in a random place. It was this old, it, like this this speaking tube had been touched, like by this 
dying woman. Like it was next to her bedside so that she could speak to, I guess her daughter or somebody speak to Clara while she was like dying in her bed. So it was awful. And the, what I thought was also just very scary leading up to that was the way they, before they heard her voice, they were just dropping these marbles down. And so they dropped buttons or buttons. They dropped three buttons down and only two came out and they were like, wait, where's the other one? And then after a pause, the third one comes down and that's when you start hearing this woman's voice. It was very, very good. Very effective. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so that's, that's kind of the physical and the metaphorical ghost in this episode. There's I a do, very Im- important ghost I want to talk about. I, I think you probably mean the bowler hat man. Yes, absolutely. Shall we, t- shall we talk about the bowler hat man? Please. Oh my God, this man scared the shit out of me. Yeah, me too. Scared the shit out of me. So if you haven't seen this episode in a while, um, this is the very, very tall man who comes in the middle of the night to get his bowler hat back from Luke. Oh my God, it's so scary. Baby Luke is in his bed and he hears someone coming for him. He like hides underneath the bed and you see this guy with a cane, this extremely tall guy. You see him as a shadow first, but the cane is touching the ground and he's walking, but his feet are hovering above the ground, just hovering. It's so creepy. And then Luke is trying to hold his breath and then he has to exhale and the, the tall man comes back and like just peeks underneath the bed. And it is so scary. It was probably oh one my of the gosh. scariest episodes. Cause for you're, me, you're th- kind of thinking like, it wouldn't, it's not, it's not going to. And then not, he does. And then he just looks underneath the bed and you're like, no, that, that's my scariest moment for the episode. I'll that just was my scariest moment. Yeah. It was so fucking horrifying. And I'm not like a lot of the ghosts. I'm like, oh, that's, that's unsettling, but they don't scare me. Like that one scared me should I okay so so that's that's my scariest moment the best moment for me is also the saddest moment for me and that's um step four a fearless moral inventory which is Luke's monologue where he's like the whole episode he's like oh I'm stuck on step four of the recovery I'm stuck on step four so step four is a fearless moral inventory and this is his monologue he gives at the narcotics anonymous meeting at the end which is kind of a bookend to the beginning where he wouldn't, he like repeatedly doesn't speak at the circle meetings. Like there's kind of even a joke, like after the PTSD story, they're like, okay, Luke, do you have anything to share? And he's like, after that? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. But a fearless moral inventory is his monologue where he's talking about his fear and how he was always scared as a little kid. And we see that throughout this show. He is constantly being terrorized terrorized like way more than I would say most of the other kids yeah just terrorized by these ghosts and he's followed throughout his life by the bowler hat man by the bowler hat man there are some great visuals where something else is going on in modern times and he gets a feeling and you you can see that they're in the like periphery or in the in the the back part of the of the um shot you can see the bowler hat man. At one point, aren't they like back to back? Yes, because he's he's walking as he walks. He, the bowler hat man is backwards and floating behind him as like, in time with him. And then he eventually he'll like he'll stop and the bowler hat man will stop and then he'll walk and he'll walk again. And then at one point, the bowler hat man just keeps going like he's uh, stopped. But he keeps going until they're like back to back, like, like neck to neck. Very, very scary. Very scary. 
But he's talking about how he was always scared as a little kid and he thought he'd get braver, but he didn't. He just got scared of new things. And then he has that, oh my God, this part breaks my heart, where he's talking about how he lost his mom to suicide at six years old, which is extremely young to lose a mother. Not that there's ever a good age to lose your mom. And how he didn't understand it because he was six. You know, he kept waiting for her to come back and to get out of the car. And he would watch these cars drive by. And every time there was a car that drove by, he would run to the window to see if his mom was going to get out of the car. And then the car would leave. And he's like haunted by like the red beams of the back of mm-hmm. the car, of the, of the rear view lights. And Gosh. how he started using just to keep those things away. And he's saying all of this while the bowler hat man is following him. Oh, that's horrible. Horrible. Speaking of horrible, let's talk about Joey. Ugh. Ugh. Well, as Pete would describe her, she is slick. Who's Pete? There's no one named Pete. I meant Steve, whose name I can never remember. You can never remember his name. I don't know why. I think maybe it's on purpose. Maybe my subconscious (laughs) is like, fuck you, Steve. (laughs) You don't like Steve? No. I'll talk about him in episode six. Um, I have some stuff to talk about Steve in episode six. But in episodes four, I agree with him. Joey is slick. And I get Joey's a product of her circumstances. She was on the street at age 13 and like stealing morphine from her mother's deathbed and struggling in halfway houses since she was like a teenager. I get that. But she's still annoying. And my least favorite part of the show by far, she's extremely two-dimensional to me. There's mm-hmm. no chemistry at all with Luke to make me believe this whole like just friends or more storyline. I think line. that's probably a good a good point. Like I never got any like I I almost wish he had like a little bit of uh or like some redeeming moments to make us go, "Oh, I I get why he can't quite like yeah, why separate he why he wants to her. take care of her." Yeah. Yeah, she is a little two-dimensional now that you mention it. Extremely flat character to me. Like she has no real character arc in this episode. She's, I just don't care about her. And every time she's on the screen, I'm like, get off the screen. <laughs> like, yeah, please go. More Luke, less Joey. Yeah, Joey's awful. Um, so whenever he leaves to go take care of Joey, you're kind of like, God what? damn it. Why? Why? Get, Why? And to your point, it's like they both get, they both have horrible things that happen in their childhood. And we're not comparing who's, you know, who had more trauma. But like Luke is dealing with it in a very different way than Joey. Well, Luke's not trying to blame other people which i yeah. guess is what i don't like yeah or like i don't make making it other people's problem well i mean he it, does it well, at certain points that's not quite fair to say maybe he's just at a different process of the re- point in the recovery than she is i just don't like that she's bringing him down yeah and we we don't see any like we see like i guess you could call it shame from her but really we don't see a lot of shame from her because even after she's like oh shit why'd you follow me out here she's like going to like slip into like the junkie room to get a fix and then like never comes out and is blowing him off even when he's has risked everything to come see her. And so we're getting Luke at a point where Luke is remorseful and ashamed of some things he's done and is clean. And we're getting this two dimensional version of his love interest that has no redeeming qualities. No. And is she a love interest? Like, I feel like they're, they're doing this. Will they, won't they thing, but I don't even I don't even buy them as friends. Yeah. And also, even if he has a crush, it definitely doesn't seem like she does. No, I don't think she cares about him very much. Yeah. I mean, there is that one scene to her credit where she's like, oh, you got your 90 day chip. You should call like Steve. You should like let them know. And that's a nice. That's it. I guess. That's all I can (laughs) give her. That's not much. 
Well, that's all I have for this episode. This episode, the twin thing was extremely depressing. Yeah, I think my best moment, because I've already given my scariest, my best moment was the um, backing up of the bowler hat man with, with the steps. That was good. That was very good. I will, I will say, I think out of the six episodes, this is the weakest one for me. Maybe. It's still really good. It's good because we like Luke so much. But I, I will say, I don't think, yeah. I think it has some great monologues. And then I think the story is a little bit thinner. It is a little thin. Like the present there's day not, story there's is not a, bit a ton thin. to say. Yeah, there's just not a lot. I like the past stuff. I like little Luke. I like adult Luke's acting. Yeah, I just, yeah. I thought the story was a little bit flat. Well, an episode with, a lot of story is oh. Nell's episode. Holy shit. All right. Episode five, the bent neck lady. Here we go. Which the I next knew, two episodes. Holy crap. I know. I knew and ep- I knew that episode five was going to be a big one because when I was doing some like careful research for the first three episodes, I would see people mention like the bent neck lady episode. I have to, I would have to like sidestep it because I didn't want yeah, to be spoiled, so but people just had such positive opinions and, and so many thoughts about that episode. It was hard, hard to avoid. I was extremely worried that you were going to find out before. No, I did not. I did not know who the bent neck lady was until I watched this episode. All right. So, so big spoiler. Um, Emma, how did you feel when you found out that the bent neck lady was Nell? They built it up so well that I was not surprised. Not that surprised by the very end because I felt like they grew my suspicions throughout but it was still like a very effective like climax. It didn't feel like a cheap trick. Like, oh, I could never have figured that out. It no, felt not at all. Very planted. Like it felt like a seed that had grown. You know, they were. They even used Victoria Pergetti like whenever they were filming scenes with the bitnet lady and younger Nell, mm-hmm. and because they like they would put her in like dark. They paint her in like dark blue so mm-hmm. that you couldn't tell it was Victoria mm-hmm. or adult Nell. Um, which I thought was very interesting. I wouldn't have thought they would have used that specific actress for that. I thought they would have just, I don't know, gotten an extra or something. Well, it's brave. It's brave of them because a lot of shows won't do that. And they'll be like, oh, well, we don't want to accidentally mess up or slip up if people like pause or go back or really think about it because we want it to be a big gotcha moment. And this yeah. this show isn't about gotcha moments. It's about good stories. Yeah, I agree. I also, it really raised my esteem of Victoria Pedretti because previously, oh, God, and actually so I thought about the the manic pixie dream girl thing. And I think I was pulling from us and she's the love interest in season two or view, excuse me, not us. She's the love interest in season. No spoilers for you. you. I'm not going to. Um, but I like was not in her character and thought she was very, very manic pixie. So I think I was pulling that in and then, um, incorporating it with my not so fond recollection of the character, her character in, um, Bly Manor. Mm, how dare you but that's fine and I, I know that you said that she had not done acting before this like this was her first this is her big first role. role yeah I looked into that and apparently she sent in a self-tape for the role of Nell yes. like she had never even booked an acting job and she didn't even have a headshot so she, yeah, was she didn't like have a headshot so very fresh like holy crap I am so impressed with Victoria Pedretti yeah I'm so impressed and I'm impressed in Mike Flanagan for like being like no I, I yeah I want her yeah, he apparently like immediately was like, "You're gonna be a star." Like he's gonna be a star, kid. Yeah, like had that take on her pretty much from the get go. Correct. That was the correct take. 
Well, let's let's talk about the bent neck lady. So this episode is not also not written by Mike Flanagan. This is written by a woman which I love, um, Meredith Averill. She is known for she's done a couple of shows, um, The Good Wife, uh, Starcrossed. She's kind of new on the scene, um, but I was like, if her writing is anywhere near as good as this episode was, I am going to be checking out her stuff. Yeah, agreed. So breakdown of this episode or a quick little synopsis. So again, this is Nell's story as every episode so far has been about one of the kids. I guess this is the final one. This is Nell's because there are five kids. This is the fifth episode. And I think they saved the best for last. Um, So this is all about child Nell and adult Nell. um, Parallel storylines. Child Nell is absolutely terrified. Her entire childhood haunted by this apparition this ghost that she calls the bent neck lady which is this ghost with long hair and a dress in this like very broken neck and it spills over into her adult hauntings and she finds out that she has sleep paralysis she goes and she sees a sleep technologist who happens to be a very hunky man named arthur (laughs) um who diagnoses her with um or I guess he's part of a team that diagnoses her with sleep paralysis and helps her um, deal with it. And and I liked I liked the sleep paralysis storyline. Well, um, it's a very real thing, and, and that's yes. another way where they're effectively bleeding together the supernatural and the real. Yes, and and I will talk about that in a second, um, especially with the fact that we have a sister that dealt with sleep paralysis, and it was did she do a sleep paralysis? Yep. I did not know that. Sarah had sleep paralysis. Yeah, that's why she would wake up in the middle of the night screaming her head off, saying that she saw someone in the corner. Hmm. Well, I knew she had night terrors, but I didn't know she had sleep paralysis. I had night terrors. Sarah had sleep paralysis. Sarah had night terrors. Sarah still has sleep paralysis. Huh. Okay, interesting. It's different. We'll get there. But back into the story, um, the reason I called the sleep technologist a hunky man is because his name is Arthur, and he and Nell fall in love, and it's so sweet. Very um, they sweet. fall in love. They get married. Um, oh, my God. So fucked up. She and becomes then, Eleanor Vance, which is at the name of the character in um, the uh, Shirley Jackson. Oh. Yeah. Uh, short I story that's based on. I love that. Yeah. Okay, Cool. Well, she marries Arthur. They have a very sweet wedding. And then um, as soon as we start getting attached, don't get too attached because he dies of a brain aneurysm. Which I looked into because I was trying to figure out like how realistic it was for him to have a brain aneurysm. The short of it is because like a brain aneurysm, the inference is that it ruptured because basically that's like a blood, a thinning of a blood vessel wall in your brain to where it kind of bubbles out. And then that by itself doesn't cause issues. I mean, it could could if it's large enough to press on other parts of your brain. Um, right. But it's when it ruptures and you have um, a hemorrhage, uh, like a subarachnoid mm-hmm. hemorrhage, that you um, would drop t- dead. You could you could definitely drop dead. Some a lot of people will have like um, like thunderclap headache is kind of the the a very commonly known term and like medical in the medical realm and basically that they call it that because it's like the when someone has just like a splitting headache like the worst headache of their life and they go to seek medical attention because they just have this sudden completely consuming headache um and then uh people they'll try to address the you know they'll scan them and try to address the bleed so it's not it's not always the case that you just like drop dead but he sure does oh god well you know nell is just super lucky i guess 
This poor woman. Oh, and should I mention that as while he has dropped dead, while he is dying on the floor, she is paralyzed because she's suffering from sleep paralysis and the bent neck ladies in the corner. Yeah. So really awful. She's having a rough go at it. Just when life was starting to turn around for now, she is getting way worse. She starts, she gets off her meds. Um, she and her therapist don't see eye to eye. Her therapist just doesn't quite understand, especially, I mean, I'm, and I'm not even getting mad at this therapist. How is he supposed to know that they're that they lived in a literal haunted house. Yeah, if I was the therapist, I would 100% be like, okay, like, you have a phobia of this house. Like, let's do some exposure therapy. Cool. Well, that wasn't the right thing to do in nope, this situation. No, how could you know? In this situation, it ended up being catastrophic. Right. And I don't think he meant, like, go to the go to the house, like, alone at night. I don't <laughs> think like, that's what he meant. I don't um, think that's what he meant. Probably, but, he probably wanted something a bit more controlled than that. Probably. Like, let's drive past it first and, yeah. you know, let's do that. But she doesn't do that. So we, we get to see the calls that she's made in the first episode before she, we find out she dies in episode one. We get to see the call she made from her perspective, which is really heartbreaking because the family has, they're all dealing with their own shit and they're trying to help her out, but they're all dealing with their own shit and with each other's shit. And I mean, how many times have we like phone tagged each other or like another family member? God, it... I don't even want to think about it because the, the the thought that you would just be like dead and I didn't well, answer the and phone. That's an, another thing that I think is so well done with this series is like you said, this episode is the fifth and final per- child perspective or, or um, sibling perspective. And you, it really builds up her story because you're getting everyone's grief reaction and where, what it was going on with everyone else. And then you yes. see what's going on with her and it really, um, culminates very well oh my god it really does it's just painful and we see and and we're also seeing her having a really shitty childhood as well um being haunted tormented by the bent neck lady and now she's an adult and the bent neck lady is back and her husband is dead and she's having a really bad time but she then she she's like okay i'm gonna go back to this house i'm i'm drawn to this house i'm gonna go back to this house And she goes to it and this, oh my God, it's such a, it is one of the best scenes in any TV show I've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. I cried and I like don't, I'm not a, I I, I sobbed. I'm not a, as you may have figured out from listening to the podcast, Kate is very overtly emotional and she cries very (laughs) easily at movies. I mean, like, it's not a bad thing. You just do. (laughs) I like am not as quick to to shed a tear not that I don't cry I cry plenty but when it comes to like movies <laughs> um there are certain movies that really do it for me so where did you cry um was it Arthur yeah it was when they he, they started dancing and they were playing oh my god I'm gonna cry now I can't this song called like heavenly day by Patty Griffin um that they had played uh, in the love story montage and then they at were their wedding yeah they had so played sad. it at their wedding and it was just so heartbreaking I had in all honesty, like I love this episode, so don't get me wrong about that. I was a little bit like, okay, let's keep it moving with some of the scenes in the hotel, um, and felt like I got whiplash back into. Oh, the, you got fed at the end of the episode. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of like, okay, like I'm ready for the next, like the next event or the next scene, and then this 
happened. Here you go. Careful what you wish for. Yeah, pretty much. So if you haven't seen this episode in a while, um, this is a scene where Nell goes back to the house. This is her perspective of what we see in the first episode. Her perspective is this illusion. It's an it's just complete apparition of what the house actually looks like. While the house is actually just like a rotting carcass of a house, like just like her therapist says, she sees the house as it was when she was a kid. It's it's fully renovated. All of her family is there. Um, her mom's there. Her husband's there. And it's played like a dream. It's very sweet. The tone is very sweet and sincere. Yes. And I like I knew she was going to see things that were going to lead her to end her life. Because we know what's happening. Because we know what's happening. And I knew that we were going to see the mom. But the way it was put together was so beautiful. And her changing into that gown. Like all of it was oh. it was just so sad. And just so, so very touching. Because she's just, she's just lost. She just wants to be loved and be safe. And she sees her husband. And she's like, yes, I just want to see my husband. I want my mom to, you know, put a locket on me. The locket she said I could have when I was a kid. Like, yes, like I, I could totally see myself if I was in a not good state of mind and in a haunted house leaning completely into Yeah, this. it's like even if at the beginning she knew it wasn't quite right. You want it so bad. It is so alluring to to get away from this horrible tragedy and depression you're dealing with and have an opportunity to see your loved ones again and have the experiences that have been robbed from you. Oh, my God. Well put. So sad. And that this is where the where the other shoe drops, I guess. Um, Nell goes up to the spiral staircase, which we know what that is about. We know what's about to happen. And her mother gives her a locket, which remind me to tell you about the locket thing, because I had some opinions as a sibling with the locket. But the her mother's ghost gives her a locket, which um, she wore. Her mom wore when Nell was a child, and it, it's a locket that has her face and um, Luke's face. So it's like a little twin locket. And she gives the locket to Nell. And um, only it's not a locket. It's Nell putting a noose around her neck in real life. She snaps out of it for like a second as she realizes that she's on the other side of the banister of the spiral staircase. And she realizes that this is so scary. So scary because you know what's about to happen. And the locket's a noose. And then her mother's ghost pushes her. Oh, it's so sad. And then she breaks her neck. And as, oh my God, so fucked up. As she dies, Nell like travels back in time, like through the past to each time she sees herself as the bent neck lady, only she sees it from the bent neck lady's perspective. Ugh. Yeah. One thing I I also like about the show is you're used to ghost stories traveling back in time. Um, I liked this the presence of future ghost in the past story. So there's like a, a, yes. a, a forward travel aspect that I wasn't anticipating. And I think that's why it was such a surprise. Yes. God, this just really broke my heart. The sleep paralysis of like Nell in whenever she's like alive, like dealing with sleep paralysis. And then it's almost like she still has sleep paralysis, but like forever, yeah. As this bent neck lady who's just frozen in time, not in time, but in space. And she can't speak, but she's there. And, and she, she wants can't to communicate do, to her family. And she, and she can't. It takes you back to like the first episode when she goes and sees Steve, like when Steve realizes that she's not there because he gets the phone call that she's passed from his dad. And then it also, 
I didn't pick this up initially, and then I figured it out afterwards. In the previous episode, there's a scene um, where Olivia, the mom, asks the dad, like, hey, like you need to move the ropes off the staircase. This, yes. this is a, uh, an like, accident waiting to happen. An accident waiting to happen. And that's... Ugh. And it's just so sad because that's like her mom protecting her children and then flash forward and now her, her ghost mom is like propagating this tragic tragic event. Yeah, it's fucking sad. Yeah, it's really sad. <laughs> it's this is so I guess I can say. Um, I, well, I have a, I have a couple of things to say about this episode. So first, I did want to let you know, yes, Sarah suffers. My, our sister has sleep paralysis which is a lot like how they describe it or explain it in this episode where you, your, your mind wakes up before your body does and your mind is trying to explain to your, to your mind, to itself, why it's not moving and what's going on. And a lot of people will see like a demon sitting on their chest or like someone in the corner in the dark. They hallucinate. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifying because it's you're bleeding together of your REM cycle which is when you're having dreams and you're intentionally paralyzed so that you can't act out your dreams and cause injury to yourself and wakefulness. And so you're awake, but your body is still in, in REM mode in the sense that you can't move your arms or legs. Extremely scary. I've, I've had sleep paralysis once. I didn't like, I didn't like see any hallucinations or anything, but I woke up, my mind woke up before my body woke up and it was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. I had that one time. It wasn't like horrifying or traumatic, but I definitely have had at least one episode where that I remember of me waking up and not being able to get my body to do the things I wanted it to do. If that happens to any of you club members, uh, wiggle your toes, focus on wiggling a toe. That can really help. Okay. Um, What other, what other stuff do you have for me? I want to talk about the locket. (laughs) Okay. You're such a middle child. (laughs) Why are you stuck on this locket? You're like, that's not fair. It's not fair. I'm just saying if mom was walking around, if our mother was walking around wearing a locket with like you and Sarah's faces in it, but not mine, I would lose my mind. I would (laughs) lose my mind. I think any of us would. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, but there's three of us, so it would be a little intentional. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so fucked up. <laughs> be kind of fucked up. Um, I, but like, I really don't think this mom in like Olivia, I don't think she has any favorites. Like, I think I really, truly, it truly feels like she just has different things for each of them. Like, she has different. Lo- she loves them all equally, She's but like differently on the older children. But it's not because she doesn't love them. It's because she feels the need to protect the younger ones more because they're more innocent and vulnerable. She still takes care of the older ones. She does. I don't. She loves them all and takes care of them all. But I, I feel like she does have a little bit of a focus on like how the youngest are doing. Well, regardless, that locket shit would not fly in our house. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. I, also, I, I feel like have asked mom. But you would have a grievance with um, mom giving the necklace to anyone. Um, it wouldn't be as simple as this. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, mom. Uh, our mom is always like trying to give us stuff. Like she's like, oh, like you can have these pajamas, and you can have like sweatpants, like not fancy stuff. Sometimes she'll be like, oh, and you can, but she'll say things and I'll be like, can you stop? Like you are not of an age where I need to hear any of this. Like she's like, oh, and when I die, you can have these rings and then Kate's going to get this. I'm like, ew, stop. Stop. Gross. No, (laughs) I'm not already pillaging your jewelry case. Jesus. Well, sounds like you are. Sounds like you (laughs) know exactly what you're getting. (laughs) But 
Um, that's just the locket. I'll move on from that. But I just, I literally laughed out loud when she's like, oh, when she opened it up and it had their faces. And I was like, <laughs> you better have like some rings with the other kids for faces on them. Petty. Petty. Petty spaghetti over here. Yeah, very much. Um, just a couple other things I wanted to mention. Um, Nell buying the drugs. Ooh. Oh my God. Bad, 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 bad. Um, the, the whole get better thing really oh icked me my out. god so manipulative where luke um where she, luke asked nell to pick her up and nell is like so she loves luke so much and picks luke up in the rain and luke's like yeah dr- just over there um what i need is for you to go buy heroin from that man i can't do it because i owe him money but if you could buy me heroin and then i'll then i'll go to rehab and i'll be clean yeah he's like i need to get better first before i go to rehab getting better meaning getting high first and I think and she does it and I think it has I think it's a twin I think it's the not like in real life the twin thing but like the twin thing of addiction maybe oh that's an interesting take I thought she was just she's so sincere and trusting of yeah of her loved ones I thought it was really that but I mean maybe I had to explain it because I'm like who would do that like, yeah. spe- like who sorry would- Kate I'm not buying heroin for you no absolutely not stop asking stop <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's fine. I'll stop asking. Um, and then we also have the twin thing with the with, with the withdrawal, where she's feeling really sick whenever he's experienced withdrawals, which I thought was good. Um, Nell and Theo. Uh, this is I I really liked the moment when they're adults and Theo thinks she's going over to Nell's house to like go to the beach, and she's like, I'm going to spend time with my sister. I'm going to we're going to get over you know, not get over, but we're going to move, move on with our lives post Arthur's aneurysm. And, but nope, that's not what it is at all. And, um, Nell's like, okay, touch the pillow, touch right here. And then she's like, touch the floor. It's where Arthur died. And and Theo's like, no, I don't want to touch that. And she like grabs her hand and like puts it on the, yeah, she is not right. That girl ain't right. I, I get it though, man. Like I get both of their perspectives. Teeny bit of her loved one. I would, I don't want to say I relate to that because I've not not been in that situation, but I I can totally empathize with that. It makes sense if you think about like the end, how she's like, yep, that's my husband. Awesome. Totally real. I'm buying it. Yeah. No questions asked. Um, But yeah, I also really just like the sister dynamic in this episode in general. Um, I thought it was something like watching them care about each other and fight with each other is really relatable and real. And I feel like it's something that's rarely represented accurately. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought it was, uh, very realistic the way they fought. Yeah. I think that it's because it was written by a woman. Honestly, I do. I feel like Meredith probably has sisters. Yeah. I was just thinking that I was like, she must have siblings and she must specifically have other sisters. Mm -hmm. Other note, um, the porch light, the two times means come, come home. Uh, do you, did you catch that? No. Okay. So, and I don't think it was this episode. Maybe I think it was this episode actually where the mom's like, okay, like you can go play, but like whenever I flash the porch light twice, it means you have to come home. Mm-hmm. And Nell's like, okay, fine. And whenever adult Nell goes to the house, the light flashes twice. Oh no, I didn't catch that. And then the, the model of the forever home that Shirley has at the funeral home flashes twice. Oh shit! No, I didn't pick up any of that. Yeah, it's um, Olivia saying "come home." Hopefully, not Olivia. Hopefully, like a ghost we'll version there. of her, like a bad version of her. We'll get there. Okay. Scariest moment, Kate. Well, I have to pick an episode genre. Oh, I guess we haven't yet. Okay, what is yeah. it? 
I say hallucination horror. Yeah. Like unreliable just, it, narrator horror. Oh, yeah. Hallucination horror for real. Um, did you say scariest moment or best moment? Um, either. We'll do, do best moment first. So best moment, this is a funnier best moment. Um, for me, the best moment of this episode is whenever Steve and Nell are watching Shirley watch Theo and the other bridesmaid and put two and two together that they're gay. <laughs> I actually had a different reaction. Um, cause I didn't think it I was thought funny. that was so hilarious. I was, like, I was like, get back to your job. Like, just because like you, just cause you like want to hook up with that girl doesn't mean that you get to go hook up with that girl. Like right now, like keep it in your pants till after the, the, you would be pissed if I did that. If you were, if it was time for speeches and I like was off hooking up with somebody, you would not be kosher with that. No, but that's not the moment I'm talking about. I'm talking about whenever they're dancing like she and that girl are dancing and like being touchy and like spinning each other mm-hmm. and smiling. And Shirley's just like watching like with her eyebrows. For, oh, like, the, pro- the processing. Yeah. That yeah. Was, and okay, then Shirley and Steve and Nell already know. And they're just like watching Shirley figure it out. <laughs> I was so protective over Nell's happy moment. So I was like, get it together, Theo. But no, that don't was ruin this for Nell. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't get many of these happy exactly. moments. Exactly. But no, that was very funny. Scariest moment for me was Nell going to the soda machine. Oh, that was very ominous. Where the lights turn out, flick, 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 and then the bent neck lady drops down. Yeah. Mine are like super basic. That's so okay. My best moment for sure was the the final scene, the final like hallucination. I thought that it was just so beautiful Ugh, and so You can't impactful. have the entire scene as the moment. It's like a 10 minute scene. When they're dancing. Oh, I'm going to cry. It was absolutely beautiful. And the most horrifying moment was when her mom pushed her. Oh, my God. What the fuck, Olivia? Yeah, that was really upsetting. Yeah, that's the word. It was upsetting. I was upset. Ugh, no. Speaking of upsetting, are you ready for episode six? Woof. You know, Kate, something really interesting about episode six? What? So, apparently, it was inspired by... the episode of Buffy. Do you know which episode I'm talking about? Oh, no. The Body? Yes. Was it really? It was inspired by the Body episode <gasps> of Buffy. For people that who makes don't sense. watch Buffy, there was this I just got chills. really, really impactful and very, I feel like, new, like very novel for the time episode where a loved one dies and it has no music in the entire episode and it's just the horrifying grief process of finding the person like like burying the like going to the funeral hoping they're hoping they come back and interpreting things as signs that they're coming back and watching different people react to the death and react with grief in different ways yeah and so that was a big part of the body yeah i thought that that was i was like wow that makes so much sense where did you hear that i read about it Yes, but <laughs> I read about it. Um, I think it was from there. They recently came out or I, mean, I don't know how recently, actually. At some point, they came out with uh, like a DVD of like the Hell House episodes and they had oh, like a that. commentary and that was a commentary uh, Mike Flanagan offered. Hell yeah. Of course, Mike Flanagan watches Buffy. Of course he did. Of course he did. So this is episode six, Two Storms, uh, written by Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard, directed by Mike Flanagan. I... Okay, I'm just going to talk. I'm going to do a quick synopsis so I can talk about this episode. Okay. So um, this episode is about two different, of course, two different times um, 
Old Hill House and current modern day in the funeral home, which I love getting more of the funeral home set because I think it's really cool to look at. But um, it's about both family experiences at Hill House. Present day, it is during a very a significant storm while all the family members are coming in from out of town in preparation for Nell's funeral the next day. This is the first time you get everyone together, including the dad. The adults, yes. All the adults. Um, and then in past, it's a single night where there's a really heavy storm um, that's kind of like beaten up Hill House and a bunch of spooky things happen. That's, that's really honestly, all that I need to say I was going to say, say that at, like, the story is simple. The like, character development within the story is very complex. Yes. This is by far my favorite episode so far. Oh, wow. This wow. is, in my opinion, one of the best episodes of television ever. Wow. High praise. I would say it's the scariest episode so far. As far as really? like... Yeah. For me, like there were the other episodes, like I had very scary moments and it's, it's easy to like select from a handful of like, Oh, this was the scariest moment. But this episode to me was, I was uncomfortable and unsettled and on edge the entire time I watched it. It should, can I tell you my episode genre? Yeah. So this is rip my heart out and stomp on it horror. <laughs> what else goes into that category? I don't want to bring anything up, honestly. <laughs> this is plenty. <laughs> Ripped my heart out and stomped on it. And I watched this episode twice. Oh, wow. This one like, really gotcha. I can't explain how much I really, really appreciated this episode. So I do, I, I want to just go straight to it. Let's talk about the continuous shots. Yeah, apparently it was all in five long takes. Yep. This entire episode. This entire episode. This episode... Oh, also, it was storming when I watched this episode. Spooky. Which is, like, so spooky. I was well, on an airplane when I watched this episode, which I think also was uncomfortable. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. It was nighttime, and I actually, there ended up at the very end of it, um, there was a storm that delayed our, us getting off the plane. <gasps> spooky. Spooky. All right, let's go to the continuous shot. So cool. So, literally, this episode is, like Emma said, it's five long continuous shots. And it's like, literally, they have 18 page scenes without any cuts. They have se 17 minute scenes that were done in a single take. It's extremely brilliant camera choreography and credit where credit is due. Like this obviously was like in huge part due to the brain of Mike Flanagan. Like this is his baby. Like he, this was his idea. Yeah, you can totally feel it throughout. Yes. Um, and, and not just the creative stuff either. Like Flanagan's technical direction was key here. But he teamed up for this episode with Michael um, Fimagnari, who is a brilliant cinematographer who has worked on Flanagan's other projects. Like they work together like on, on Ouija, uh, Before I Wake and a few others. Flanagan really has like his team. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's like, these are my people. And um, also, if you look up those movies, which I did, uh, there's a lot of the same actors as like Hill House and Gerald's Game. So pro team Flanagan, I'm going to watch all of this. But for these shots, these are extremely, extremely complex shots because again, all of this, as I said in the first Hill House episode, is on a two-story soundstage. There's an entire house they have built on a soundstage. And not just that, they have a, the funeral home this also on a on the same on a separate soundstage, but attached. So the funeral the, the scene you see where adult Hugh walks from the funeral hallway funeral home hallway and it goes into Hill House. Oh, you could do that because it was literally connected. 
because they planned ahead for this. Oh, very nice. So whereas, okay. And, and good, I'm sorry. I'm just overwhelmed by. Yes. Kate is overwhelmed by enthusiasm. I'm so excited. Like I was, I was just so impressed with these shots. So whereas for normal, most normal shots, a production crew will spend like 40 plus minutes setting up a shot, planning it, doing visual choreography, um, blocking all that stuff. This took literally days, days and days and days and days. They had to dedicate an entire month of production to rehearsals for this shot. I'm not even surprised. It was, it was a month. So you had to be so tightly organized to work. Yeah, you have every single production team member has to be on board. You have to have the actors, including child actors, including photo doubles for the child actors because they have to move them and like transport characters at times. Everyone. And they have to walk through this huge multi-story home set. And if one cue gets messed up, the whole shot's lost. So they had to have the foresight to, again, build these two huge sets adjacent to each other with the attached hallway. And they even have like, like I was watching videos of crew, like as they're filming, they have crew members in the funeral home as the, they're doing a backing away shot, silently picking up chairs on set so that the camera dolly can back out. Oh, wow. And then putting the, and then silently putting the chairs back because so, the camera moves. That's really then impressive. We, extremely impressive. Like the coordination is insane. The storm effects, because all of this is happening while there's a storm going on on the show. So the only effect that was CG um, for this entire episode for the storm was when the windows blow out. That's the only only scene that's CG. The, like the water pouring out of the fireplace flue, that was just timed for the exact right moment. Every single lighting cue is programmed. So you have scenery lighting like the lightning and you know that you have the sound cues with for the thunder but you also have like glamour lighting for like lighting up the actors and they have to have oh wow the glamour I, I lighting in the right that. place yeah so like you have to have the actors stand in the right place at the exact right time for the lighting and for where yeah, the camera is gonna sense. be and speaking of blocking we have numerous background ghosts in this episode that are appearing and disappearing so they're they're having to move them too. You got the old woman by the speaking tube. Um, you, I don't. I hope you caught this, but the statues that switched what direction they're facing. Did no, you see that? I I was always looking for a, for what what was up with the statues, and I could never catch it. Yes. So it's whenever Olivia is like looking for Nell upstairs, and she goes into the room, um, and then she and the statues are facing away, and then she comes out of the room, and the statues are facing towards her. Ugh. And they did that by literally switching out the statues as she went into that room. Wow. The, the little Quietly. boy in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw blocking footage of the little boy. They like, because, you know, he wheels out of the room and then he disappears, right? Because um, the camera turns to Carla Gugino. And then for the few seconds that the camera is on her, someone comes out and like pushes the boy into another room and hides him. And the two other people switch out the statues. Oh, Wow. That's so very impressive. It makes so me want to go watch. Extremely impressive. It makes me want to go watch that footage and then go watch it again. That's what I did. Yeah, <laughs> I see what That's happened now. Absolutely, what I did. It's just extremely, extremely impressive. Like the child actors, I was so impressed with that they were able to do this because this is hard. Yeah, like, they had to do things. Hard. Like, there's a scene where they're holding hands, and they had to, and it goes through the two kids holding hands and like. To, and it progresses the shot to people that are staged in front of that. And they had to do it to where the kids holding hands had to like separate and run 
just in the right time to allow for the camera to smoothly move through. So props to the, we, I mean, we had already given a lot of credit to the kid actors and I just want to continue giving credit to them. Like how well disciplined they must be to, um, to do all of this well and in five shots without having like normal, innocent, like youthful children, like messing it up. Yeah. Like you forget your lines, forget where exactly you're supposed to stand. And they even, um, like they actually kept like some little errors, uh, whenever they were doing it. Like there's a scene where Hughes, they're at the, Hughes going to see the kids at the, um, like bottom of the stairs and he's like walking towards them and he actually, he actually trips over, um, the, if you look closely, you can see him tripping over a uh, flashlight on the ground and they just kept it. Oh, well, yeah. They're like, that is fine. Yeah. <laughs> that can stay. I love that of all the heirs, it was um, a grown adult. Yeah. And that makes me happy. You know, they're um, in one of the episodes, I think it was actually an earlier one. Um, they have like a hidden ghost in one of the scenes because they have this in a lot of the scenes. And the yeah. hidden ghost was actually like over Olivia's shoulder. And it was actually Bruce Greenwood, who is the person who starred opposite of her in Gerald's game yes i did see that isn't that wild i'm like how'd they get him for just like that random scene because they're all mike flanagan's like buddies yeah apparently like hey you want to just be a ghost for a minute he's probably just hanging out on set and was like i'll be a ghost yeah i'll be a ghost they had to have a bunch of extras just like around and available to be popped into a scene that's so cool i bet they were like staging it and they're like i bet a ghost would look really cool right here (laughs) yeah 100 percent. they're like put one over there yeah (laughs) Uh, so i've talked a lot about like the technical the technical production of this episode. I do also want to just give, give some credit to Jesus. This was so realistic watching like a family grieve Uh, realistic in the worst way, in the worst way. I want to just give an actor appreciation post. I want, I told you I'd mentioned Steve. Yeah. Michael Huseman, adult Steve absolutely murdered this episode. Yeah. I was very good job. So impressed. I was so impressed. So like when he first sees Nell and like goes up to her in the, in the casket and is like, yep, that's her officer. That's pos- positive ID. Oh, that was and like so uncomfortable. Know. And then whenever he just loses it and confronts his dad about what happened at Hill house. Yeah. Oh my God. And it's so like, tantalizing because you want so badly for for older Hugh to just tell us like just tell them what happened it's haunting everybody just like out with it out with it and then he's like murmuring to like nobody so they're all fighting talking to they're all fighting he keeps talking to himself or to an unseen person and then at one point like this they're having this like spooky storm and then they so and Shirley, who's constantly trying to take care of Nell even after she's passed, is like, "Who did this?" And she's oh, just God. so upset. And then you realize that those buttons, oh my God, are on Nell's eyes. That was the scariest moment for me. She's like, "Who did this? Did you think it would be cute? Like, what? What the fuck? Do you think <laughs> she actually thought someone did it? Yes, I would think so. There's no one else in that room. She's seen some stuff." No, she's she's the most logical of all of them, except for maybe Steve. Yeah, she's seen the least, but like she has had like bumps on doors and like the kitten stuff. Like it's not like she's been untouched by the house. No, I did not say that. But I think you're right, though, that she and Steve have 
been the most relatively unscathed, which is very Mm -hmm. relative. So Mm -hmm. I think at this stage, she's still able to kind of compartmentalize that and, and reason, reason it. But like, who would she think would do that to Nell? I think I know who I think would do that to Nell. Who? Well, it was someone that we saw standing next to Nell in this episode. Luke? No. Nell? Olivia? Ugh. Yeah, but she... Ugh. Mm-hmm. What the fuck's wrong with Olivia? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah. Ugh. That's the question. Ugh, that's so uncomfortable. So I've given my episode genre. I've given my scariest moment, which for me was Buttons. Um, I I couldn't pick a best moment, so I whittled it down to three. Okay. Um, <laughs> I really like this episode. So... Um, number one, when present day Hugh walks into the funeral home and he turns and it's, he's talking to the child versions of the kids on the couch Mm. and they aren't ghosts. It's just how he sees his children. And then the camera moves in circles back and it's the adult actors all in the same blocking. That was a really, yeah, like hit hit my heart moment. Um, the number two is the long shot of Carla Gugino in the windows where the windows blow. That was just like chills. And then um, number three is the one that just kind of like gut punched me the most. I don't know if I would call this the best moment, but it gut punched me pretty hard, which is when, what do you think it is? I'm going to let you guess. Mm. The most gut punchiest moment. Oh, when her casket falls. Yes. Oh, that was so horrific. It really was. Horrific. Upsetting. Upsetting, like truly upsetting. And like, I can't imagine, like, I can't, like, they're all fighting and screaming and at so each other. It's so heavy that you can't even get it back to the way it was. <sighs> oh my God. So dark. It was really dark. And then the last shot of Nell as the Bentnick lady standing next to the casket and she's been there the whole time and she's just watching and she can't say anything. Oh, that's awful. I'm trying to think of what my best moment is. I've already said the scariest moment, which was was um young Hugh ch- chasing young Olivia th- through the young house. Hugh. Oh yeah, I, they're both adults, so yeah. I can- <laughs> um, and I think well, what would be my best moment? Maybe the fight between Steve and his dad. Oh, I thought that good. was really really good. Just his dad absolutely just like not engaging. Yeah, like trying to and figure like, out like what is going on with the dad because he almost seems he doesn't seem apathetic, but he seems so calm that you're like, what has happened to this man? He seems so checked out compared to young him who is so involved. Mm. Right, I like guess we'll old find dad out. is passive. Young dad was fixing everything. Yeah, literally, right? Yeah. <laughs> literally and figuratively. Well, the last thing I do want to ask you about this episode, mm-hmm. I know that you've seen the entire show now, so don't spoil it, but I haven't seen the entire, sh- I haven't seen the entire show since it came out. I just, in case you remember, don't spoil it. I want to know in that moment, either now without remembering or first time watching, what did you, what was your interpretation of, of Theo and, um, Shelly, what's her name? Uh, Shirley's Shirley. husband. When she opens the door. Oh, I was like, that bitch is gay. (laughs) Well, then I was like, is she bi? I was trying to remember. I was like, I thought she was like gay. Yeah, that that was my reaction is, wait, but that bitch is gay. What did you think happened? What did you think was going on? I, I, I don't know that she was drunk as hell. 
and literally the entire episode blessed. What's what's her husband's name? What's um Shirley's husband's name? Oh, poor guy. Well, Shirley's husband. Name. I I assumed that he was handling her. Like, okay, let's get you back. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that she was just super drunk. But then I got a little bit confused when she was so apologetic coming out of the room. That's when I like. That's the point where I'm like, wait, what? And yeah, so it's, it's a, a very of, way what moment. There's a lot of way what there still. So I, I hope that gets expanded upon in future episodes. And I'm sure it will. I just, I, I did really like, that was also a little bit of comic relief. I feel like Shirley's husband was like a, just an ounce of comic relief in this episode. Yeah, trying to like, it honestly reminded me a little bit of of your fiance, Nick. Of Nick, when he's with our family. Because and we're Nick like, is very passive when our family is arguing. Like he will do anything to not be a part of it. <laughs> that's accurate yeah like we'll be like screaming and he's like can I get you a tea or yeah <laughs> he's very, do you need anything he's very stepping away slowly while also trying to like <laughs> not abandon the situation I loved it I love whenever they're like and then yeah dad she said that bent the bent neck lady was back and blah blah, blah. and he's like wait who's the who's the bent neck lady yeah <laughs> It's like, like, wait, what's going oh, on? Just take a seat, dude. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just like you're. Just, it's way too much to unpack, sir. That that that's all I have for this episode. Yeah, I mean, um, I think that's plenty. Oh, it was a lot. I am so excited. Um, I was. I have not been watching the episodes afterwards because I'm trying not to. I'm trying to experience it again yeah. as if I was experiencing it for the first time. And I'm very excited to because I've been holding off. Yeah, I'm going to be ripping to through them. them potentially even tonight. I th- yeah, I think I'm going to do it tonight. It's stormy outside right now. So episodes, oh, send some of that to me. I want a good storm. Okay, I will. So the next and final, um, I guess, of these, of our coverage will be our third part, which will be episodes seven through 10. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. We're going to continue with doing our mini episodes in between. So we're going to keep you in suspense just a bit longer, um, but I promise it'll be worth it. I'm so I am so excited to finish out this series. I'm just so ready. All right, guys. Well, that's all we have for um, part two of our Hill House coverage. Again, if you liked what you heard today or have thoughts or comments about what you heard today, we want to hear them. So email us at nightlighthorrormovieclub at gmail.com or go find us on Facebook and send us a message on our page. Or alternatively, go hit us up on Instagram. Um, and if you really liked what you heard, <laughs> join us. Kate's like, where is she <laughs> really going with this? Liked it. <laughs> go join us on the, our Patreon where you can have exclusive voting rights on what we cover next. Yeah. They're, they're the ones who said that we could do this. So yeah, thank exactly. you to our patrons. Thank you so much. Thank this you, has been overlords. Really fun. Thank you, patron overlords. We love you. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time, stay spoopy. Stay spoopy. Stay spoopy.